This is Dean with the Two Party Podcast. I'm here with Coach Cam. Um, if you're not familiar, he's uh, he, he was one of the coaches that helped out with the Texans. Um, he's got a new e-course coming out, uh, win, win the First Quarter of Your Day, Playbook for Wealth, Health, and Success. Uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself and kind of give a breakdown of who he is and what he does. He is a, a obviously a mentor and a positive uh, energy for the community where he lives and, and helps with a lot of the youth athletic and stuff. So I'm going to let him introduce himself and just uh, that way we can we can understand where he, who he is and where he comes from. Go ahead, Cameron. Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, my, my name is Cameron Campbell. I go by Coach Cam. Uh, my mom calls me Coach Cam, so it's kind of <laughs> it's easier to say sometimes. Um, you, you know, I'm a, I'm a Houston guy. I'm, I'm very much committed to, to my city and, and to, um, you know, helping folks be the best versions of themselves as they can. I think that sometimes, you know, that disposition comes off as, as vanilla or, or corny, but it, it, there is a lot of validity to it. And so um, I'll kind of unpack some of my thought process and theories on that down the line. But, you know, I think that similar to a celebrity or, or well-known person being born in uh, or growing up in L.A. Or, or California, New York, and not leaving, that's kind of how I saw Houston. And so um, I have this saying, I say, you know, they say, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> you know, I say, if you can't make it in Houston, you can't make it anywhere. But, yeah. I mean, there's so many entrepreneurial opportunities. And so, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting, you know, very young in my life and just embracing that part of who I am, but then just being true to understand, like, how can I be a blessing? How can I, you know, understand my gift, develop my gift, grow my gift, but then share it is really the best way I can describe kind of who I am and, and what I stand for and what I value. That, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, a lot of people have great gifts and what, what great, what, what better thing to do with a gift that someone gives you than to share it. And, and that's, that's really what we're sent here to do, I believe. Yeah. You know, that, that's so true. And I think that there's, there's a, a burden of responsibility once you identify your gift. It, it becomes very easy to identify it and pack it back up, put it in the closet. Well, you know, I am a Christian, I'm a man of faith, and so, you know, not only do we owe it to ourselves to share that gift, we also owe it to, you know, our maker and, and, and the person who gave us that gift, but more importantly, you literally never know, you know, the person to impact, you know, could be the person that takes your gift further, higher, further, you know, to another level, but more importantly, you know, your gift is yours to share, it's selfish to, to have it for yourself. Amen. I agree with that. I'm a Christian as well. Um, I, I do a little work when I when I can. It's been a minute, but I, uh, my buddy owns uh, GetOutOfTheBus.org Ministry. Um, it's a double decker bus here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They go out uh, every Friday or every Thursday. I'm sorry, and they 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 literally just bring the message of God to the streets and to the homeless. And, and uh, th- there's some rough areas here in Tulsa, uh, as there is anywhere you know in the world that you go. And they, so they go out and they just they bring the word of God. They they kind of preach and, and talk to basically just bring fellowship. They feed, uh, bring pizza and, and and just gifts, and they just kind of help out and. So I agree, you know, you got to share your gifts. A gift is really no good if it's just, you know, for the sole purpose of hanging on to for one person. Yeah, you know, there's so much in what you just said. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this podcast tour that, that we're kicking off to, to make awareness and bring awareness to the course that we're, 
launching. But, you know, in so many of these conversations, there's this just like fluffy story. And it's like, we, you know, you know, we can talk about all the highlights, but, you know, the, the not say the lowlights, but, you know, the adversities are what shape a person. And, and you said something that kind of reminded me of an experience I like to share. Um, so one of the people that I, I wrote about in my book, Alpha Redefined, his name is David Weekly. He's a, he's a Houston guy. He's a, a home builder. And I think he, he's actually like the largest home builder on the stock market, right? So like, I think it's a publicly traded company. He's done very well for himself. Nice. Well, I, I was in a, I was in a low light of, of my life. I was in a low light of my faith. Um, I think it was like 2015, around 2015. And I go to, a, you know, a, a weekly Bible study and this Bible study had like a monthly luncheon. And so just on a gumption, the leader of the Bible study invited me and said, Hey, you know, we've got a really cool speaker this, you know, this month coming up. I think you'll like it. Just come out. Mm-hmm. And, I come out and David Weekly speaks and I just respect his, you know, his business and his success so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what makes him so special is he's a, he's a servant leader. He's the first person to introduce to me the concept of a reverse tither. So he actually, number one, he donates 50% of his time and 50% of his resources out into the community. Be that- it working with nonprofits, developing small businesses, that, that's huge. About is, you know, it, 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 change, it, it changes what you think success is. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, no, this is what I should be striving for. Like, this is the life unlimited. And so mm-hmm. one thing he talks about is, you know, his goal is to become a reverse tither. And so to trust God to give 90% and to live off of 10. It's like, wow, that that is, you know, when he made reference to your ministry, to your buddy's ministry and just... You know, you, you talked about the fellowship part. Fellowship is so underrated. I mean, just being able to be human and imperfect with other people around without judgment is special. It's that's a strong message, and and you know, to reverse tide. I've never heard that. That's that's a that's a huge concept, um, and, and really just shows the the the, the size of his heart uh, and, and his faithfulness to to, to our, our maker. That that's huge. That's amazing. You know, and, and not, not only that, and what I I was taken away um, the first time I heard him speak, but I was fortunate enough to have time to interview him one on one, you know, with the book, and he was so transparent and not just humble. Yes. But, you know, he talked about like, yes, I've had tangible success, I've had financial success, and you know, he's you know. Like not that far from Oklahoma here in Houston, he felt the boom of the eighties and the nineties and you know, he was like, Cam, I sell this money and I felt nothing. Yeah. I, I know that there was so much more of a purpose for me and you know, I was never a money hoarder, but you know, you're in business to do well for yourself, but I realized that my gift is giving. That's what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, again, it, it's easy to say that you know, when you're on your way up, but when you're there, you know, it, it just, it, it takes, I think that, you know, as a, as a big man, as a black man, as, as an athlete, former athlete, you know, we, we cross define what masculinity is in such a way that we can look at a guy like LeBron and say he's masculine, then look at a, you know, skinny small guy in a Gap commercial and say that he's not, right? But the idea of masculinity is just like 100% being you, whatever that is. Right. And so to 
me, it's like that's you know that was a moment where I said this is a man's man, you know. Yes, correct. Um, I, I would I would 100% agree. I, I think um, you know, and I can relate to that. Uh, I've been in situations in my life where I was financially. You know, when I was younger, I, I was lucky enough to work for a company. It was a family-owned business uh, in the medical field, and uh, I, I, they gave me a five-year retirement. I mean, I was like 19. I worked for them for five years. They said, you get your 401ks, you can stick with us, or you can cash out. And I was young and dumb, and I cashed out. I, I was like, wow, I could five years, I've worked for this company, and I can have all this money, and I can do my own thing, and I did. Uh, I cashed out and thought I was, you know, got the world by the boo-boo, but let, let's be real, it didn't last. Um, I, I, you know, that money went real quick and, and I learned at a young age, you know, that, that, that money, you know, financial gain is only good these days. I, I reflect on it these days. Financial gain is really only good if you can share it and financial gain and success is only good if you can use it as a tool, not just to glorify our maker, but to help your community, to help the people that need it. Um, because it, it's no fun, you know, they, they say, you know, you can rise to the top, but it's no fun being at the top if you're all alone. And being at the top doesn't mean you have to surround yourself with people that are all at the top. It means you really should reach down and lift up the people that need it. You know, that's, uh, if I may take that and rewrite the back of my book cover because that's exactly <laughs> what, that's exactly what my book was about. So I wrote this book about, uh, almost a year ago, actually. So last October, um, the title of it is Alpha Redefined 12 Servant Leadership Principles of Legendary Leaders. And so the premise of it came, um, my wife now, my, we're dating at the time, we were thinking a movie, I don't know what we're doing, making a decision. And she said to me, kind of in a gruff, like, you're such an alpha. And I was like, take that back, right? So I had this, I had such a distorted idea of what the word alpha meant. And she said, you know, like, do you even really know what an alpha is? I'm like, yeah, like, you know, they curse a lot. Yeah, maybe they make money, but, you know, they're just like, you know, they're just so dominant that they kind of suffocate. She's like, no, no, no. So, so fast forward, you know, you've got, people like David Weekly, and so it, it has, so with this book, what I did was I mapped out 12 servant leadership principles, and I married each one to a different person in time and history. So, you know, David Weekly, Mahatma Gandhi, J.J. Watt, uh, me and him, just, just a handful of folks, right? Some mm-hmm. living, some in the past already. But the idea is, you know, Mahatma Gandhi was just as much of an alpha as Muhammad Ali. Now, Muhammad Ali, I'm sure, would whip circles around him. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, different different class, but yeah. <laughs> but but the physical piece isn't what makes an alpha an alpha. It's being true to who you are and understanding that your sole purpose is to lead and provide and provide and serve for others. Yes, correct. So with this new e-course, um, I'm interested in that. The playbook for, for wealth, and I do need to get your alpha redefined book. I need to look that up and order one. Um, this playbook for wealth, health, and success. What is that all about? So on the on the on the heels of uh, I, I did a short like six city promo tour for the book uh, last last winter, and you know the first question that people would ask me is, you know, how do you do? How do you get so much stuff done in the day? Like you speak, you do work with the NFL, you work with different clubs. I have a sports construction company. You obviously are very hip in the community. You know, how do you? do all this stuff and you know I'm like I don't I'm not special right I, I don't have an answer I just I win the first quarter of my day I, I 
get up at four o'clock. I have a very consistent routine that I do. And, you know, it, it's a lot of it comes from being an athlete. So it's like, if you, if you hedge your day within the first four hours, you almost can't lose the rest of your day. And so the idea that, you know, the, the, the championship team isn't the team that walks onto the field and wins, it's the team that's put the work in in the off season. So that's Correct. where the premise of it came from. And so, it, you know, obviously I was able to kind of leverage a lot of the research that I had done in preparation for the book and just different interviews that I had kind of in the queue. And I began to kind of connect these dots in a very, uh, like natural, it's almost like when you see the natural pattern of life in nature, mm-hmm. like, oh, this isn't just a situation for me, this is how life works, right? And so right. I was able to kind of, sna- kind of catch a snapshot of like really effective, highly effective people, and so many of them do, you know, a lot of the same things to start their day. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a good point. And I, and I can, again, I can relate with that as well. You know, for, for many years, I, I've never, I, you know, I kind of got off track. I used to box for many years and that was one of the things I enjoyed physically. It was one of the, the sports I really enjoyed and uh, doing myself. And uh, I got off track for a long time with fitness and, uh, you know, my, my past, I, you know, I've been through addiction, I've been through drinking and all the nonsense and, and the, the ups and downs of life that, that sometimes you shouldn't take. And, uh, you know, about six years ago when I moved here to Oklahoma, I kind of made a lot of changes with my life before I met my wife and stuff. And um, just recently, about I want to say it was last year, about a year and a half ago, I started really big, going big on fitness. So I started my, my schedule literally starts 5 a.m. when I'm on schedule. I just had surgery, so I've kind of been kind of laid up a little bit. But I usually get up at 5 a.m. I work out for two hours solid because I usually can't get a good pump without at least a two hour, no matter what muscle group. So I do a two hour, then seven o'clock I get up and I'm a general contractor. So when I get done working out, I get up, I, I get ready for work, I head to work, I'm on the job by about 7.30. So seven and then the rest of my day till whenever I get off. And a lot of people are like, man, you're getting up at 5 a.m., you're working out, you're, then you're going to work as a you know, general contractor doing construction. And I'm like, yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, in the past year and year and a half, give, give or take, that I started that schedule, my life's changed. It's changed my perspective. It's changed how each day starts. Um, it's given me new vision on, on, on certain things like this podcast show and uh, a lot of the different aspects and things I want to do. You know, life's short. I'm 44 and I really want to make changes not just for myself, but I want to make changes in the people's lives around me. And so I can relate to that when the first quarter of your day makes sense when you say it and, and you explain it the way you did. Well, and, and you know, a part that you made reference to that I have to, I have to, to, to second is, you know, most times our greatest discoveries come from, from pain points. And so, you know, I share that 2015, no, 2015 for me, I call that time of my life the abyss. And so, um, I was, I had a lot of success coaching. I was the winningest coach at the school I was at. Um, and my school leader comes in and says, hey, you know, coach, you've done well. I was athletic director. I was, I found the youngest head coach in the city by, you know, maybe two or three years. I was the youngest athletic director by like 15. I mean, just, you know, just ahead of kind of the point you made earlier about, you know, kind of early success out the gate. And so she said, hey, you know, this stuff's going great, but we're, we're going to repurpose or reformat our school stru- admin structure, and your position is now going to be essentially like a, a counselor, a school counselor is now going to take over, you know, interscholastic athletics. So you can stay a coach, but, you know, like, you're going to be doing PD. 
Wow. Yeah. And, and so it's like, well, no thanks. <laughs> right? Like, I, I'll bet on myself. I'll move on. Yep. But the challenge with that, Dean, was I, I was not in financial position. Like, so it should have been a bump in the road, not me completely off the track. Right. And that was the beginning of, of what I call my abyss. And so, you know, again, in transparency, I had, you know, I'd walked away from my faith. You know, God definitely did not walk away from me. But mm-hmm. I, had, I was so hurt, so disappointed, um, mostly because, you know, yes, I had strung up a lot of wins. I wasn't done. Like, we were building a community. I was, the school I coached at um, was a deeply underserved school. And, you know, I say jokingly, like, the demographics, it was 85% Hispanic, 14% black, and, like, one lost white kid that didn't know. Who was <laughs> <laughs> like so much, you know, so much work, so much healing. So you know, I mean, these kids literally hadn't seen success, and so you know, teaching them how to be successful through the vehicle of athletics. You know, I look at it now like it was it was my mission work, but and, and it was cut short, and, and I was resentful, I was hurt, um, I was bitter. And yeah. So you know, kind of parlaying the experience I shared with you with with with. Uh, David Weekly, you know, that yep. time for me was the, the unhealthiest. I was 300 pounds, you know, I mean, you're in Oklahoma, you've got Whataburger. I mean, I, yeah. there was no Whataburger <laughs> that I didn't stop at, you know what I mean? And so, uh, yeah. you know, to your point, where I'm going with that is, you know, in the depth of my abyss was the beginning of rebuilding myself. And I remember so well the bottom for me or, or, the, or the, the beginning of the rebound. So, um, I had, I had just sold my house. It was about to get foreclosed on, so I had to sell it so I didn't lose it. And, you know, creditors were called just, you know, that rat race. Right? Yep, and yep. so um, I had a former Houston Rocket who I, you know, had known through some community work that we had done together. And he heard that kind of falling on bad times. And so he had invited me to come and coach, be like a guest coach at his camp, which was a great opportunity and, you know, paid well and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, it was 65 miles round trip. And so while it was a blessing, I was looking <laughs> at the gas can every five minutes like it. <laughs> and so I, I, I read the book, uh, I listened to the audio book while I was driving. And it was uh, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by, I think this guy's name is like T. Hard Eckler. I, I may get the name wrong. Right. And, and what he began to point out was, you know, here's what rich or wealthy people, here's how they think, here's how broke people think. Right. And and every time he said something, I would clutch my pearls. So I'm like, well, this, guy, <laughs> this guy's talking about me. Right, right. He's talking to my heart. He's talking to who I am right now. <laughs> I just got no, he's in my truck. Um, and so, the, you know, the, my biggest takeaway from that book, and it, it was a good book, and, you know, it, it's uh, I love self-help, I love personal growth and discovery. I do as well. But the, but the biggest thing was poor or mentally broke people. And I, I don't ascertain like pointing people out as rich or poor, but making the habit of those who have versus those who are trying to get there. Yep. Is, you know, those who are trying to get there see the problem, and the problem is always bigger than them. Mm-hmm. Those who have figured it out understand the problem is there, and yes, it may suck, but there's nothing I can't figure out, and there's nothing I can't learn. And that was the beginning of, you know, you may reference, I got to get my, I played at two, between 245, 
16, you know, in that kind of 15 pound range. Mm-hmm. I'm 300 pounds. I'm coaching kids. I'm sweating during warm ups. Like, you got to get yourself. This isn't who you are. Yeah, it's not the you dream know? you pictured. It's not. It's not the person that I see when I look in the mirror. So I literally began to rebuild myself, starting with working out, starting with my diet. Um, my, and it's funny, you know, kind of to echo what you said, pretty soon my faith came along, um, my faith came back, again, not that, you know, God never left me, I commanded yep. him, so I had that reckoning with him, um, and it began to kind of shape, okay, what are you, what are you supposed to be doing? Yes, that job was taken away from you, that doesn't mean that your gift is no longer valid, and so, um, that year, again, facing these financial hard times, I started my turkey drives. And, mm-hmm. you know, a bit of my backstory, I grew up in a, in a pocket of Houston called South Park, the south side of Houston. And it's, you know, it's not the worst neighborhood, but, you know, like, not we want to raise kids. And so my parents right. kind of did like the Fresh Prince thing and, you know, like moved to the suburbs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was always this, honestly, an insecurity in me that said, you know, had my parents not moved, who would I be? You know, what what opportunities I know that I was afforded here yep. that I'd not have been afforded, you know, had had they not moved. And so, you know, I I, I started a GoFundMe. I, I reached out to everyone that I cared about, everyone that loved me, and I said, hey, you know, whatever money you've got, just pitching in. And, you know, this is, you know, every dollar that goes into this is going directly into buying turkeys. There's no yeah. pitch. There's no nothing. Just, you know, I don't have a lot. But if I can learn to give and serve when I when I don't have much then, and keep that trait, then I know that as I began to rebuild myself, that I'll be blessed. Yes. And that was that was really the beginning of you know of rebuilding myself. Yeah, and and it doesn't take uh, people don't realize it doesn't take money. It doesn't take it doesn't take a lot of stuff to give. It, I mean, it, it honestly doesn't. Uh, you know, I, I, I say it all the time. I make posts on my personal Facebook page all the time. Like this morning, I got, I, I'm just starting back working out. I did leg day today. I'm, I'm dreading it, but I did it. And and, I, and one of my posts was 8 a.m. legs. And then I just give an encouraging message uh, that, you know, throughout your day, no matter what you're doing, reach out to somebody, stranger, doesn't matter who it is, but reach out to somebody because you're not only possibly going to save their life, you're possibly able to save your own. You know, people don't know where each person is in life and where they're they're struggling emotionally, let alone spiritually. And so you got to kind of reach into people's lives, uh, no matter who it is, and take every opportunity to do it. It doesn't take money. It doesn't take, uh, you know, donations of, of material objects. It takes a smile. It takes a handshake. It takes a hug. Yeah, you know, that, that's so spot on. And I think, you know, just to kind of tie it back to the David Week, it, it just it took him putting his ego aside and being transparent to, you know, to get me back on track. It, it literally took him 30 minutes of sharing his testimony. Yeah, right? yeah. So, you know, a, a very wealthy person, a well-known philanthropist in the city, who I'm sure gets called upon daily, right, to support right. different causes, just simply changed my life. By, mm-hmm. by sharing his testimony. You're right. That, that's huge. So, you you know, you're big on self-improvement. I am too. Um, and you're big on business and, and entrepreneurship as well. Um, and, and you started this charity. Um, and, and so that charity, you started around 2015, am I correct? And then it's still running? Yeah. So actually, so this is the unique thing about it, right? So kind of going back to like, if you can make it in Houston, you can make it anywhere. It, it's not a charity. So, so it, it's just, it, it's a, it's a, 
business philosophy and business structure. So just out of the kindness of my heart, I started the turkey drive. Mm-hmm. And then in 2017, I, again, I, you know, I've always kept my hand on a few different things. I was selling sports construction. And, you know, like you made reference to earlier, I was at a turning point in my life. I, it was during the Lenten season, the 2017. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I was walking, just kind of a work from home, was, was out kind of moving around in, in my neighborhood. And I was just convicted then. And I'm like, you know, yes, you know, I'm bouncing back. I'm doing okay. I'm able to provide for my family and whatever. I know. And I'm doing a turkey drop. This is a couple of years into the turkey drop. Yeah. And you know, the thought was, I know I'm not doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And so how do you leverage what you're learning and what you're trying to develop in business and make it for the good? And so I started, I broke away from the company I was working with, which which was really tough for me because I'm a very loyal person. So I did kind of struggle, I wouldn't say with depression, but I did struggle with like feeling like I alienated or turned my back. But sometimes you have to make those really tough choices. We do, yeah. and so I started Texas Athletics Construction. And so, you know, essentially what I did was I started a social entrepreneur company, entrepreneurship company. So I'd go to a guy, you know, so I'm selling basketball courts, uh, putting greens, batting cages, tennis courts, initially residential, right? So right. somebody's backyard. Yep. So I go, you know, so I go to a lead, I go to a sales appointment, and I say, okay, Dean, you know, this court's, you know, roughly 30,000 bucks. But I tell you what, if you, I'll sell it to you for twenty-seven. If you go write that nonprofit a three thousand dollar check, right? I'll go partner with that nonprofit and execute the community work that I know I'm supposed to be doing anyway. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and now you've got your court, and I'm happy because not only have I you know completed a project, but now I'm that much closer to getting the work that I need to get done. And what it what it was not intended to be was a unique value proposition, but that's exactly what it ended up being. And so, you know, before soon, I was able to make headway, you know, as a, as a startup against some of the bigger competitors in the area, because if, you know, if our pricing is the same, if our quality is the same, you know, why would you not go with the guy who's doing good work? And oh, by the way, at the end of the year, I'm getting a tax letter from this nonprofit because I've made this charitable gift. Right. And so, uh, yeah, so that, that's that's how I was able to start the scholarship and, you know, Coach Camp Christmas wishes and just a lot of stuff was just kind of, you know, H-Town ingenuity, just trying to figure it out. That, that's truly amazing. And, and it's basically, instead of a charity, I guess, uh, more of a community community initiative. I mean, you're really just giving back to your community via also helping helping build business as well as you're, you're also setting an example for those that are involved or around you, um, the, the youth especially. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's a lot closer to what it is. And it's funny that you mentioned, mentioned the youth thing because, you know, I'm sure, you know, like you, when you flash back, all you knew was that guy's rich and that guy's poor. And you had no way of like quantifying like why I like this guy or why I look up to this guy. Yeah. And, you know, as I still work in the community, you get the assumption of, oh, this guy's super rich and he's got it. And it's like, no, you don't, you know, exactly what you were saying about David Weekly. I don't have to shell out 10,000 bucks to make an impact in your life. Never. But, no. I can, but I can swing by your school every other week and have lunch with you. Right. right. So the, so, so, so the, the willingness to be hands-on with those are in, you know, that are in need, you know, is it, really the most important piece. 
Yes, I, I would agree. Um, and then I want to touch base. Uh, I'm looking at my notes here that I've got, and, and I want to touch a little base on black culture. Um, you know, obviously, we, we've got a lot going on in our society today in this day and age. And, you know, people of faith like you and I, um, we, we, I guess we see things through the goggles that God gives us to, to look at when we're faithful. And um, so how do you feel on the black culture of today? And how do you feel uh, throughout your life? What's been your perspective on the black culture? You know, I think that uh, I think that this is our generation's civil rights era, and I think that uh, while some people don't love protests, protest is not designed to be comfortable, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, our founding fathers pouring tea over the Boston Harbor was painful <laughs> to yeah. somebody, yeah. right? Right. Like that was an inconvenience, and so I think that to see as vocal as the civil rights movement has been to see places like the NFL have Roger Goodell come back and say like you know what I probably didn't understand or was not really really listening with open ears to what you were saying you know Colin Kaepernick some years ago I'm sorry about that or more importantly you know I don't understand where you're coming from but I'm willing to listen and learn you know, goes a really long way versus, you know, it's easy to separate people, right? And so, you know, Dean's from Oklahoma, Cam's down here, you got this, I'm left-handed, you're right, we're not alike. Well, the fact of the matter is, you know, we, I believe as Americans, that we see life 80% the same. Correct. Right, so we wanna provide for our families and the folks we care about, we wanna have a pursuit of happiness, we wanna live a great life, now, how we go about doing those things may separate, you know, like small little bits, right? But right. for the most part, we're, we're on the same page. And so um, I think that, you know, being a large black man in America is one of the scariest things <laughs> that right. you can do. And obviously it's not by choice, um, right? And so, you know, I think that creating awareness or caring for each other goes a long way you know the first time that i have had a gun put on me uh was kindergarten um getting off of a bus a kid you know thinking it was funny or whatever put a gun on me and i was too young or too dumb to to be scared or i didn't know what to do right right more more in shock (laughs) right the last time i had a gun put on me was uh the summer of 2016 I was in a suburb of Cleveland. I, was, I traveled up there to speak. It was a day or two before the Republican National Convention. There was just a lot of, you know, energy, right? So right. Well, I don't want to make this an overly political thing. I mean, Trump was kicking up his trunk, right? This is right. can flash back. It was just the more egregious thing he could say, the more people loved it. Right. And so I'm driving this little soda can, this little tuna can car, little car, <laughs> and I'm speeding. I don't, it's a small town, speeding. I don't know, you know, I can take responsibility for that. Yeah. Um, the speed limit. So this itty bitty little cop, this little white lady gets out, and you know she draws down on me. Oh, and no. I'm, I'm scared. I'm fighting tears. I'm upset. I've got the progressive app pulled up on my phone I've got my license on the dash I mean, my hands are on the I mean I'm trying to be as non-threatening as I can correct understanding that I'm probably physically imposing I can't control that right and so uh, she comes down drawn down and, and I'm, I mean I'm, I'm literally like fighting tears through my teeth or like this is not how I want to die no and, and, no, and nobody should ever have to die by, at the hands of, of 
of an arrest or anything, uh, whether it be being being pulled over. You know, that that's kind of where my opinion is on this whole thing is nobody needs to die to be questioned. Nobody needs to die over breaking the law. Um, you know, their actions dictate where that where that can go. We know we know what the results of, of breaking the law gets you, which is in jail. Um, but nobody needs to die for that. Yeah, no, you're right. And so, and so I'm, I'm, you know, through my teeth, I just ask her, like, but why do you have your gun out yes. before you even speak to me? Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. one single word. And she's like, well, you're really big? I'm like, well, maybe you should be a security guard. <laughs> right, maybe you're in the wrong job. <laughs> I, I can 100% agree with that. It's funny even to laugh at it now because that was, I mean, but the other side of that, Dean, is, you know, for every situation like that where the person, you know, is doing something wrong or has a warrant, whatever the case yeah. may be, I can say, experiencing it myself, it is so extremely hard to control your emotions. Yeah. And, you know, I make the argument that I don't know that cops, I don't know that there should be career-long police officers. And I'm not saying I have the whole thing figured out. But I have like several friends, you know, very close friends that are cops. And when you have these off the cuff conversations, it's not, you don't get to the awareness that's required for them to make it home every day. You, right. you don't turn that off. Correct. Right. And so, you know, you're, you're, you finish your shift and now you're, you know, again, in the line at, at, at Whataburger. And I had a friend tell me like, yeah, you look in your rear view and you start looking at plates. And you're, not, you're not even in your car to run the numbers. But, yep. you know, you're just kind of hardwired. And so, you know, saying all that to say, I mean, I think that these are the conversations, you know, as it ties back to, you know, what it feels like to be black in America. These are the conversations that I think we need to have as a country. And so, you know, maybe the answer is, you know, yeah, there's X amount of time you need to do on, on the street beat. And then maybe move into other parts of policing and keeping our community safe. But, you know, the one thing about policing is, you know, there's good and bad everything. Good and bad teachers, good and Correct. bad dentists, good and bad... Right? Yep. yep, I would that's agree. The one, that's the one position that, you know, if you get it wrong, it's probably really, really not good. Correct. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, it's 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 a tough one, and and I I 100% agree. I think we are in a civil rights movement. I think when you when you, when you when you bring into the police into a civil rights movement, and that being kind of what's driven this this situation we're in now with our society and, and what's current events, um, it is hard to. We do need to reform the police. I mean, that just that needs to be said. I mean, we have problems whether it's good or bad. We don't want to just everybody's bad because one bad apple, of course, but. There does need to be some reform, and and like you, you make a very good point. You have career, career law enforcement, and uh, and each one you know needs to be judged individually. They they're, they're, they need to be evaluated uh, a lot uh, to to make sure you know if some if an officer's in a, in a lot of shootings or or let's say he's just in one shooting, psychologically that affects people. We know how trauma works in our lives. We know how trauma works in general, post traumatic. Um, at some point, you can't just be a 50-year law enforcement officer and see a million shootings or be involved in a million shootings or be the one that shot a bunch of people and be normal. There, there's, there's emotional problems that, that come up and arise. And, and so I would agree that, that we, need to re, we need to reevaluate that stuff. Now, on the, on the other side of it, at the, looking at the civil rights side of it, um, at no point in time should you or any black person or any person of any culture, period, 
be in fear for their life because they're being pulled over or being questioned. Now, I, I understand fully there's criminals out there. There's people breaking the law, and they know they're breaking the law. And they kind of know what's going to happen when an officer pulls them over in the middle of committing a crime. That, so th- those things kind of change the dynamic of what law enforcement has to face. But it doesn't change the fact that no matter what color a person is driving that car, they should not be looked at any different. We're all human beings. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think that, uh, you know, this summer, and it feels like you say this every summer, right? But like this summer was so polarizing as it pertains to that. And I just kind of say this to, to, to bring my thought to a close. So after, you know, a couple of police shootings and there's so many names that you kind of have a hard time keeping up, but after George Floyd, who, you know, is from Houston, mm-hmm. you know, for, you know, a week, a few weeks later, there was a shooting in, in Atlanta and yeah. then there was this old, kind of like this cuddly, cute old white guy, like a buffalo, right? He looked like, do you remember <laughs> the, do you remember the guy in the Six Flags commercials? Like, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? And, and, and the police, like, mow him over. And, 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 and to me, all three crimes are egregious. And so, so to me, it's like, well, in the George Floyd thing, obviously terrible, right? The Atlanta thing, like, the, the guy was drunk in the drive through at Wendy's. And, right. And, you know, just an old guy in Buffalo breaks your heart. But in all three instances, you know, the thought, my thought is, there's 20 other ways that that, that situations could have been diffused. Right? Yes. So if the, the outcome if, could have been better. Exactly. Well, just, just, it didn't have to, so so with the Wendy situation, you know, the cop could have took the guy home. The cop could have put the guy in the Uber. I mean, there's 20 different ways to get a drunk guy out of line in Wendy's. Yes. And then even you know, with the guy in Buffalo, I mean, I don't you know. The Six Flags guy doesn't seem like much of a threat, but we don't have right. And so, it, so it, what it turns into is, you know, there are good people who are, who are police agents and, and you know, in, in the you know, in that space, who are just simply following the rules of the manual. So maybe we need to relook at the manual. Correct. Say, like maybe this thing is outdated, and it's time to revisit. Yeah, I would agree. And and if you if you uh, analyze that and put it back into sports, even I mean, you can you guys have to change your playbooks and your rule books all the time to, to be coaching. And and it's the same thing when you're you're basically a leader. And so in law enforcement, it needs to be the same. There needs to be some some reevaluation on how things are working, because when innocent people are dying, uh, good or bad, just taking lives is not acceptable. And that's kind of how I feel. Um, let's let's get more into your sports. I want to talk a little bit about your sports career. Then let's let's talk a little bit about that. So you were a former college football player, a former head coach, uh, an athletic director. So so let's get into some of that. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I played football at the University of Houston, and um, you know I played on people nowadays think of Houston and you know Kevin Sumlin and Art Browse and all these you know just I mean prolific. You know, it's really, really good teams. Tom Herman just just rocking and rolling. Yep. I played at I played at U of H. I was on the 2001 team. We went 0 and 11. We lost every. <laughs> we lost to Rice. We lost to Texas. We lost to LSU. That was the year of 9/11. So we were supposed to play Georgia. We played them at the end of the season. Remember, they canceled all the games like for that week. Yep. Um, Marquette didn't have football. We lost to Marquette. <laughs> we, lost to, we lost to everybody. And, you know, it taught, that season taught me 
what sacrifice truly is. And so I'm a redshirt freshman. I'm traveling some of the games. Um, and I remember waking up and going to a 5 a.m. workout. And I didn't travel that week. And uh, we're going to go play uh, Louisville. So, so that that weekend we come back to the Sunday walkthrough and I, I pull my position coach aside and I say, coach, like, I don't, you know, I'm not one of like, I'm a hot shot, whatever, but I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, I didn't travel. I'm not traveling on an 0-7 team. Like, like <laughs> I, I was recruiting other places. Like, I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. Right. And it wasn't like a, you know, Lonzo Ball, like, pay me or I'm, it, it, that wasn't the disposition. I was just confused, you know? Yeah. And, and he said one of the truest things. He said, uh, "He said you're here because you're supposed to be here." Mm. And you know, I don't watch Star Wars. I'm like, is that like some Yoda? Like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, what he meant by that was, if you can learn how to fail here, you can learn how to succeed in life. Yes. And, and ironically enough. You know, that coach, that staff got fired, and that coach kind of bounced around a college or two. Um, he coached tight ends for the San Diego Chargers, and he coached for the Atlanta Falcons. He actually won a Super Bowl in 2015 uh, with the uh, Denver Broncos. And I think nice. he's still coaching now with the Bears, I think. Huh. But just the point I'm making there is, like, athletics absolutely is an external educational system. You can learn more through athletics, I think, than almost any other learning space. And I, and I think athletics as a, as a whole is so good for, for youth, and I think it's so good for communities to support, um, even with whether it's be the public school or private, private teams. Uh, it, it really does, like you said, it teaches so much value as far as success and loss and, and, and working toward uh, resolution on conflicts and um, to teach kids how to work together. Um, win or lose is something that we needed when we were youths and we need it now. You know, Oklahoma plays big time football. Like I, I, I do, I joke. I tell you this: I do joke with people. Like you know, Texas drive Fords and blonde people drive Chevys and Oklahoma's <laughs> drive 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 Dodges, right? I say that jokingly, but you, know, <laughs> you, you guys are, are big time, you know, football as well. I, I actually live in Katy, Texas, right? So like the back end mm-hmm. of you know Katy High School and the the stadium was about a quarter mile from my house. Seventeen thousand people the stadium holds. Yeah, right. So you, you think about a high school sophomore, high school junior on varsity jumping off sides on third and two. Yeah. In front of seventeen thousand people. That, and, that's crazy. You know, I, I'm 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 just I'm so convinced that if a kid can learn how to fail in front of seventeen thousand people, yes. he can learn how to succeed in front of everyone. I mean I think that, you know, it, athletics is such a great teacher I mean I think it's the ultimate teacher and kind of going back to you know the civil rights thing it's one of the few things you know athletics and music that brings us together it doesn't matter what side of the aisle what ticket you're voting for in November if you like to watch LeBron do his thing we're sitting next to each other cheering not knowing what our values are right as fans sitting next to each other yeah correct and and you know and and at the same token it, it just you know the extracurricular activity in sports is is really, I think, if you look at perspective wise, it's kind of the first step of our youth and our kids 
um, learning about how to handle things on their own in the real world. So it's the first time where we have to sit on the sidelines and let and push them out onto the field and allow them to live their life. And so that's kind of the perspective I see it in. You know, my son, um, he's do, he started wrestling and now he does jujitsu. Uh, he's been doing jujitsu barely a year. He did wrestling for about six months. Now this kid uh, just blows my mind. He, he went in, I, I accidentally, being the bad dad I am, I registered him into a higher weight bracket, the fir- first competition he had. So he was going against kids at his weight, but they were up to like 14 years old. And he's, he was 10 then, well, he was 11. And so the, the poor kid, I put him in this bracket. We didn't know. They wouldn't let us change it. And he went in there and he took, took gold. And that was his first competition. And then he just had another one just recently, and he, he took uh, gold and silver on that. Um, the kid just excels. But it, it, in perspective-wise, it really is the first time we get to push our kids into the real world where they decide things for themselves. And I think that's a real valuable tool um, for, for a lot of a lot of kids that don't get to experience sports or get extracurricular activities, whether they can, you know, whether it's a family situation, uh, they can afford it or not, or, you know, whatever it may be. I think it's very important that they get involved in some kind of extracurricular activities. You know, the amazing thing to, to what you said is, you know, had, had your son not had that success, you know, in that first competition, this may be the first time he has to look at himself and say, hey, I don't know who I am, right? I'm, I'm not, you, you know, when I, <laughs> I, I was always very good at math. I was, a ter- I'm such a good speller now because I, sp- I failed so many spelling tests in the kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you fail, you remember as a kid, when you fail a test, the teacher handed you your test cuffed kind of like in half so nobody could see the grit. Yeah, yeah. You know, nobody saw that failure but you and that teacher. Yeah. You know, when your son, if, if he wants to fail or when at some point he does, he, you know, everyone is seeing him do that which forces that kid to not only ask himself some very, you know, tough questions in a very small amount of time but more importantly, it allows him to rebound Externally, right? So, yep. so again, nobody sees the retest. Yeah. But you as a teacher, but people see how you respond when you get up from the mat after you've been beaten. And I think that's what makes athletics so special. Yeah, he did. He did uh, th- this last one. He he got beat on because they do gi and they do no gi, and so he got he got. He did good on the gi, and he got beat on one of the no gis, um, but he still ended up getting the medals. And on the first competition, it was a long day. It was 7 o'clock. I think we left around 3, and he had I signed him up for four competitions, which was outrageous for him to start. And he made it through three and did really well, got his butt kicked on the third. Now, he took the gold in his no gi. He got his butt kicked on all the gi ones, and, and his third one, he, he was so beat. And it, I asked him if he wanted to do his fourth. He said no. He humbly just said, I'm good. And we went home. So, I mean, he learned defeat that day as well as, you know, he learned what it feels like to win. And this last competition was the same. I mean, he kind of he kind of got his butt kicked on a few of them and he learned like, you know, I got to work harder. You know, I got I got to I got to work on my game and learn, you know, learn uh, the tools and techniques that are going to get me to, to win. It, it is, it, it's amazing in that story that you've introduced your kid to the growth mindset without you know, having to, to read a Carol Dweck book or, or having to pull from, you know, academic, not that I'm, I'm belittling academia at all, mm-hmm. but, you know, like, like your son was forced with, you know, challenging, challenging himself 
and conceding on that fourth but being okay because he gave everything he had on the first three. Like this is, I don't have anything else left to give. He truly did, and, and, the, and the, the, the kids got such such a big heart, and, and it's funny that you mentioned uh, about the, the sport, the educational side of things. He is a bookworm. He is, you know, he that was between wrestling and that first competition with jiu-jitsu, that's really been his first initiatives into sports and, and his first really, you know, like stepping outside of reading books, stepping outside of kind of, for lack of a better term, being the nerdy kid, you know? And he really went out there, he performed, he gave it his all, and he, he literally, he had some of these 14-year-old kids mad at him because he went in there, I, I put him in the wrong bracket, and he ended up taking the gold in their bracket that they worked for, you know, and, and they were like amazed that this 11-year-old kid stepped in here and just whooped him, and, and it's, it was just crazy. Um, but he, he also the same at the same on the same page he, he learned what it was like to fail that day because he did lose a couple matches you know against kids that were smaller than him so he learned like it doesn't matter the size it, it really matters your heart and how much training and work you put into it. You know they can't probably learn more in one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was really enlightening to see it, and we discussed a little bit about it. So I want to I want to keep moving forward. Um, you know, you talk a little bit on here about variety. Um, it, it talks about you being an organic type person, and and you flow. Uh, you, you like to flow topic to topic here, and so I want to keep the keep it going here on the interview. I think we're doing great here on time. Um, personal development and is is something I'd like to hear about. And now we we've talked a little bit about some of your you know your experiences that's got you where you are. Um, t- tell me more about what you see in the future. You know, for you, I know you have a lot going on, and uh, and these this this the, the e e stuff will will definitely help. That e course will definitely be something that'll probably open new doors for you. But where what's your vision for you for Coach Cam? Where do you want to be? Where do you where do you see yourself in five ten years with with all the stuff you're doing right now? You know, I. Um... I'm a, I'm a natural creative, and I'm very honest about my weaknesses. And you know, my my weaknesses typically are you know analytical, kind of small detail, granular. And so I've spent over the last 18 months just sitting in you know the weakness of my. You kind of going back to the mama mentality with Kobe, right? It's like sitting in my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And, and and the reason I share that is you know as I begin to you know perfect. You know my business craft you know my goal is to leave systems behind that allow me to literally just create and you know create content create experiences create moments you know one of I have an ambitious goal so you say five years you know I uh, as a Texan and a very very proud Texan but like profoundly proud <laughs> <laughs> I have to concede that, you know, we don't, we're not the most dominant high school football state anymore. And not, not to keep bringing us back to athletics, but, right. you know, what, what I want to be able to do in five years is just solve really hard problems. And so for me, you know, because I, I'm blessed, I have a chance to travel to speak and, you know, just travel overall with work and life. You get to see, you know, the way other systems, other states, you see how California's, you know, interscholastics are set up and Florida's and Colorado's and, you know, where I'm going with that is I, I want to be able to solve really tough problems. Like, how do we make Texas athletics number one again and forever? Right. right. So some of that may be overhauling, you know, UIL and some other systems, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, 
I think that there are, I have this, I have this theory, if it's not proven, it's not scientific, but you know, I wanna find a small town or like county, and I think that if we change our mindsets, I think that we could like eradicate homelessness. Right. Right. And so it, 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 it's, it's, it's audacious, but you know, just kind of hear me out. If you look at like a small town, you know, a two high school, one Walmart, you know, size town. Right. There's a guy working at Whataburger who's frying the fries, who if he busted his tail could probably be a cashier. Mm-hmm. He's not good at math, but you know, like again, working on your weaknesses. You know, if you, there's a cashier who probably just is missing the leadership skills to be a manager. There's a manager who probably has the leadership skills and the vision, but not the capital to start her own restaurant. Right. right? So you can kind of climb up and up and up. And so, you know, where I want to be in five years is to be in position to just make the world a better place by sitting in the problems and being honest with the problems we face. And so, you know, kind of going back to that small town example, I'm just so confident that if we provided the resources and the incentive to get that fry cook to the cashier, right. that cashier to an assistant manager or manager, and the resources and support for that manager to start her own thing, there's a job now as a fry cook. <laughs> so right. the homeless person who can't find a job, guess what, we've got a job for you, buddy. Yeah, you, you've created a job for the fry cook, but you've also created a woman who, who now can move up with a business that could create even more jobs and, and, and opportunities for others. Exactly. That's huge. That's huge. So uh, spiritually, where do you see yourself? You know, it took me a very long time, and I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not fully comfortable, like, the word ministry is so intimidating to me, right? So just, mm-hmm. you know, giving and serving and, and the stuff I do in the community, it is my ministry as I, I now understand what the word truly is. Like, it's not yep. ministry, it's not physically in a church, you know. No, not at all. Clerical, structured, that's not, so it's you in your space doing what you're supposed to be doing Correct. for the glory of God. Correct. And I think, I think that, you know, as the, the Alpha Redefined series, as we continue to, to push those out and just continue the message, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, you, you're, you may be the first or second person I've shared this with, the end of the book, so, so the, the concept of Alpha Redefined is debunking what we understand the definition of an Alpha to be. And the end of the original context of the book was Jesus is the ultimate Alpha, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, being an alpha is riding in on a donkey and flipping over, you know, tables of people gambling at money exchangers in your father's house and having the audacity to live, you know, a, while your ministry was short-lived, it was radical and audacious and unapologetic. That's, again, that's more than Pontius Pilate, more than Xerxes, anybody, any character you want from the Bible. Like, that's being a, you know, a quote-unquote man's man. Right. I think that, you know, where it comes to my faith, it's being able to have the conversations about about what about what an alpha truly is, about about how awesome, like like Jesus was a bad dude. <laughs> right. You know what I mean, it's like like you, you kind of see the soft blue eyes and the hair. Like no, like that that guy didn't take much crap. No. And so I think I think that you know if we can. I don't want this to come off wrong, but if we can humanize Jesus, not as like this 
perfect thing that floated on water, but a man who struggled, a man who was hungry, a man who grieved over his friend's death, right? So he was actually much more of us today than I think we realize that he was. He, he almost set a better example of being human than our society as we do. Yeah, well said. Yep, exactly. I would agree. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap things up here. Uh, Coach Cam, it's been amazing having you. I've been looking forward to this interview all weekend, so I, I really have been kind of being your stalker. I've been looking at your website, your Instagram. Uh, I really have been kind of researching because I really, I, I was really digging what, what you originally, initially sent me to talk about. And uh, now talking to you, uh, it's been great. Uh, I love the discussion. I love where your heart's at. I think you're you're really, I see a vision for you doing great things and continuing to do the great things that you've already started doing. And I see them flourishing and, and uh, any way we can help you to promote and any way we can help you uh, in the future, we're, we're here for you. And we'd love to have you back anytime. Um, is there any uh, websites or anything you'd like to go ahead and uh, throw in there so that uh, our audience can hear and other people can hear where to get maybe your book or other things? Yeah, so, so you can grab all of our products, uh, the book Alpha Redefined, uh, the online course, Win the First Quarter of Your Day. Uh, those can be found on coachcamcourses.com and then uh, on all social platforms, Coach Cam Cares. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been great having you here, and I, I'm blessed to have this conversation today. I think this conversation's kind of opened some doors in my mind of things that maybe spiritually I need to look at. and. Um, just also just kind of different avenues that where I'm at entrepreneur wise. So I'll definitely be checking out some of these courses and I know I definitely need to get a hand on your, on the alpha book for sure. Um, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, thanks so much. No, I'll, I'll be sure to send you one for sure. Yep. For sure. I got to get my hands on it. Uh, you have a great day. And again, anything you need, uh, you just let us know. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate it. We'll stay in touch. All right. Two-Party Podcast, we use Anchor because it's such an easy platform to uh, get get advertising and sponsors over a variety of different areas where you can get your podcast heard on different platforms. Uh, it's easy to upload. It's easy to add content. It's easy to delete and edit. Um, it's just a very simple platform. Helps you get, your, get off the ground, kind of help you get your podcast moving forward. Um, and simplifies a lot of things in the business that, that typically you wouldn't know and you'd have to learn. So it, it does help with the learning curve. So we, we really appreciate and use Anchor uh, as well as, as many other platforms we've tried. Anchor seems to be the easiest.